I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is Please Go On, where we go deeper with the author of an important op-ed. This week's guest, Mitt Romney, the senator from Utah and the Republican nominee for president in 2012. Romney voted twice to convict Donald Trump after the then-president was impeached by the House. In a piece headlined, Filibuster or Bust, Romney warns Democrats to be careful what they wish for. There's a good shot that Republicans get the House and the Senate in the upcoming elections. I'd say it's better than 50-50, but let's say it's 50-50. There's also a good shot that Donald Trump can become president again in 2024. So there's a good shot Republicans will have all three uh, in a few years. Do Democrats really want to have a setting where they have no say whatsoever in what legislation passes if that occurs? There's growing support among Senate Democrats for reforming or even getting rid of the filibuster so that they could pass major legislation on issues like voting rights or immigration on a party line vote. President Biden is signaling support for changing the filibuster after once calling it essential for compromise and moderation. Romney says following through could destroy the world's greatest deliberative body. Here's our conversation. Joe Biden spent 36 years in the Senate before he became vice president. And as recently as last year, when he was the Democratic nominee, he was rejecting calls from his left to endorse ending the filibuster. Why do you think he and so many other Democrats who used to be so resistant are now changing their tune? Well, I think it goes with the personal uh, perspective. Once one is in the majority, uh, we always think that our, our ideas are better than our opposition's ideas. Uh, we hate the fact that somebody can keep us from doing the things we want to do. And as suddenly you find your, yourself in power, uh, why you don't want to uh, uh, have to bend to the opinion of the people that are in the minority. And, uh, and so I think the president is somewhat frustrated. Uh, surely, if I were in his position right now, given how difficult it's been even getting a bipartisan bill passed by the House, uh, let alone his reconciliation bill, I'd have a degree of frustration and want to get rid of all of the uh, debate uh, and just do what I wanted to do as a president. I mean, that's why people around the world become authoritarians. They get tired of Congress or anything like a Congress. Uh, so clearly, self-interest plays a big role here. And, and I think it's important to stop and say, let's put aside for a moment who's in power and say, does it make sense for the Senate as an institution to require bipartisanship, to require a meeting of the minds towards the center, or do we instead want whatever party is in the majority to be able to do whatever the heck it wants? You point out in your op-ed that the Democrats' latest justification for eliminating the filibuster is Republicans' unwillingness to pass, as you put it, partisan election reform legislation. You write that Democrats have filed these bills numerous times over numerous years, almost always without seeking Republican involvement in drafting them. It's not just Democrats, though. Former Senator Chuck Hagel, the Republican from Nebraska who later became defense secretary, wrote an op-ed this week calling for a filibuster exception when it comes to voting rights bills. And more notably, Robert Kagan— who advised your presidential campaign on foreign policy, wrote a lengthy essay in The Post recently that seemed like it was essentially 
aimed at you. Kagan said Romney doesn't have to abandon the GOP. In the present emergency, Romney could form a coalition with Democrats for the sole purpose of saving the republic by cooperating on matters like elections. What do you say to the argument that people like Kagan are making? Well, first of all, there have been a series of initiatives that the Democrats have said, we, we need to get rid of the filibuster in order to do X, Y, Z. Right now, the current initiative is with regards to uh, uh, election law. And, and as you just noted, uh, this topic has come up year after year. Democrats would like to more federalize election law as opposed to have each state have its own right to establish its own election laws. Republicans look at that and say, this is designed to give the, uh, the party in power right now the ability to influence or potentially determine the outcome of an election. So there are things that, that uh, I can do and that other senators can do to find common ground. But with regards to election law, for instance, uh, the, the bills that have come before us in the Senate were not co-authored. There was no negotiation between Republicans and Democrats. They're not sponsored by any Republicans. Pretty much by definition, if a piece of legislation comes forward in the Senate with only one party behind it, with only one party that wrote it, it's not going to become a law. Uh, and, and things that get done are done with people who negotiate beforehand and write the bill on a bipartisan basis. We did that with regards to our COVID relief package that a group of us came up with last December. Uh, we did that on the infrastructure bill, the physical infrastructure bill, where a group of us negotiated something and that passed the Senate with 19 Republican votes and I think all the Democratic votes. Uh, so if, if there's an area in election reform or any other area that is a topic of concern for the entire country, you're going to find some Republicans and Democrats willing to work on it. And um, that ought to happen with regards to immigration. It ought to happen with regards to election uh, issues if there are issues that really are bipartisan of concern. Um, so I, I'm not saying that will never happen, but I'm just saying that anything is an excuse to get rid of the uh, of one of the elements that makes the institution of the Senate work is, in my opinion, a mistake. But I wonder if there's something that 10 Republicans would actually get on board with in the current Senate related to elections. Last year, there were a lot of principled Republicans like the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who resisted what has turned out to be quite a lot of pressure from former President Trump. And maybe the next time in 2024, those people won't be in those positions anymore because they lose primaries. Raffensperger's facing a primary from Jody Heiss, a Trump loyalist, and other states are changing their laws. Do you envision a federal moderate voting rights compromise happening? Well, I know that on, on my side of the aisle, people have long been concerned that uh, without voter ID, that there's an opportunity for voter fraud. So you would expect that some Republicans might be willing to look for legislation that required some kind of uh, legitimate voter ID. So that would be a topic of interest. Now, frankly, in, in my own view, based upon my limited electoral experience, uh, there's not as much uh, fraud, if you will, voter ID where people are voting for someone else. There's not as much as some people anticipate. 
certainly not as much as President Trump has been claiming. So I don't know that there's a huge impetus for doing that, but that's one area that we might find common ground on. Uh, and then the one you describe, which is what happens if election officials are, are corrupt? Uh, what do you do then? Uh, and and I, that's an area I have real concern about, and I think there are other Republicans that do as well. I know there are some Democrats that do. Maybe there's something we can come up with that would address that uh, that threat. Uh, I, I don't know what that legislation would look like. I mean, I, I know, for instance, that some states are saying, hey, we're going to have the state legislature be able to overturn the decision of election officials. Well, what happens if it's the, the election officials are legitimate and the state legislature is partisan and says, hey, we don't care what the electors did or the, or the voters did. Here's what we're going to do. I, I, so I don't know how legislatively to solve that problem right now, but, but I'm certainly open to that. And for me, that's the issue of greatest concern right now, which is what do you do with a corrupted uh, official? And how do you overcome that? And that's something which I think is a legitimate area for uh, investigation. And by the way, for bipartisan analysis, hearings, potentially a piece of bipartisan legislation, that has a chance of passing. But something done just by one party, it's never going to happen. Senator, you eloquently make the case in your piece for protecting the prerogative of the minority. And I was wondering, as I read it, if your faith comes into this. You come from a religion that has experienced a lot of persecution. The Mormons were forced to flee west. Your ancestors went into Mexico for a time. Uh, Mormon church fled to Utah. How much is your desire to protect minority rights based on the experience of the Church of Latter-day Saints? Uh, probably not very much, frankly, because uh, the, the minority that I come from represents, what, one or two percent of the population of the country. And, and, and I'm not suggesting the rights of a minority that small. Yeah, but I, but I, I, mean, I mean, I've been in the minority from a political standpoint. Uh, uh, yeah, Massachusetts as a Republican uh, and, uh, and back growing up in Michigan as a Republican as well. Uh, we were in the minority there. And, you know, I think it's a very helpful thing for the country at large to say legislation is by and large going to tack towards the center. Uh, and uh, because if it doesn't, if you just have one party that's able to do whatever it wants, that party almost by definition is going to have to bend to the interest of the most vocal members of that party, if you will, the base of that party. And, and so it's going to tack to one wing or the other. And if you go from, let's say, a Democrat majority to a Republican majority, you're going to swing policies from one side to the other with regards to taxation and regulation, the safety net, education, healthcare. You're going to bounce from wing to wing. And I don't know how families can predict their future on that basis, how our friends around the world, our allies can predict what America is going to do on that basis, how businesses can decide to invest. I mean, how do you, I mean, if Republicans are in charge, the corporate tax rate's going to be what, 20, 22%. Democrats would like to make it, I don't know, 30, 35%. How does a corporation decide whether to invest in a new facility in the United States if they don't know which party is going to be in charge? So there's real merit to saying, look, for something to pass the Senate, it requires a common ground towards the center. And, um, and that has served us well for a long time. And throwing that out, I think, 
uh, would, uh, would jeopardize a good deal of what's made the Senate work for the country. We'll be right back after a short break. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. I mentioned a few minutes ago that there's this push from the left, but also some on the right, to make a carve-out to the filibuster for election-related bills. But we have seen what can happen when you put these carve-outs in. It's really what's going on with reconciliation right now. They made it so that the filibuster didn't apply to these spending and tax bills. It wasn't originally intended to become this way, but now basically Democrats are trying to enact their entire domestic agenda through one bill that has a hodgepodge of different tax proposals and lots of different spending proposals. Would you close that loophole so that this kind of thing that they're trying to pass through reconciliation with 50 votes plus a tie break vote from the vice president would instead need 60 votes? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, which is that the the uh, the reconciliation process has been expanded by both parties. This is not just a Democrat issue. This is something both parties have done, which is, you know, you know, you want a mile. I'm going to take 10 miles. The next party takes 100 miles. And and the idea that uh, Democrats are even wanting to write new immigration legislation into reconciliation, well, you get to a point where uh, the the uh, common ground expected of the Senate is no longer needed. Uh, and and so a a bill of one point seven trillion dollars. Uh, these are astonishingly large amounts of money. I, I I read an article that was most revealing. It said a million seconds ago it was uh, middle October. A billion seconds ago George Herbert Walker Bush was president. A trillion seconds ago Neanderthals were on the earth. And we're we're talking about massive amounts of money, and a whole series of programs. I mean. Everything from uh, there, there, there's uh, 50, I think $55 million in this reconciliation bill uh, to study climate change impact on lactating individuals, meaning on, on pregnant women. Everything is in this bill. And it's like, wait a second, guys, we, we've gone far beyond what was anticipated. I think it's most amusing that reconciliation, as you know, was designed to reconcile spending with the budget. And so you'd expect there to be real numbers, but the House is apparently going to vote on a reconciliation bill even before it's scored to know what the numbers are. So we, we've gone 
we've gone far beyond what was intended, perhaps far beyond what was appropriate. And by the way, that's probably true for both parties. So if there were a way of narrowing that, I would certainly like to see it narrowed. I, I don't know that we could do that again, put that to- toothpaste back in the tube. And by the way, that goes for the filibuster as well. If the Democrats say, look, we're going to eliminate the filibuster just for voting rights, I can assure you that the opposition party, when we are in the, in the majority, will eliminate the filibuster for something else for, that we care about, that'll be important to us, and it'll be goodbye to the Senate as we know it. Yeah, and we've seen this play out with judges. When Barack Obama was president, Democrats got rid of the supermajority requirement for confirming district and circuit court judges. And then Republicans, when Donald Trump was president, said, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to get rid of the supermajority requirement to confirm Supreme Court justices. They did it in 2017 to confirm Neil Gorsuch. There are some historians, though, who say it wasn't intended to be this way, that the founders originally didn't want a supermajority requirement to pass legislation. Obviously, the Constitution does allow each chamber to set its own rules, but the filibuster has evolved over time. What started as a talking filibuster became basically needing cloture to pass anything. What is your view of the argument from those historians? Do you think the filibuster is something the founders would have wanted to protect? I I can't tell you what they wanted back then. I can't imagine the founders would have been able to anticipate what's going on in the world today uh, and and how our Senate works. Uh, My guess is that even people that were in the Senate 25 years ago would be surprised to see how the Senate works today. But but the founders did establish a, a process to create a more perfect union. And, and their work was not finished when they died or when they wrote the Constitution. Uh, the the uh, establishment of America and our institutions has been something which has grown over time. I mean, as I understand it, for instance, the Constitution doesn't even mention the, the Department of State, the Department of Homeland Security, certainly. Uh, th- these, are, these are things which developed over time in the case of the Department of State with George Washington. But the, 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 the government and how our government works and our institutions of democracy have been established over the centuries. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, I look at, at the, the requirement for 60 votes. It used to be 67, now it's down to 60. That requirement has served us pretty well. And, and we've been able to get a lot of things done. A decision to, to say we're gonna go back to a simple majority would be a dramatic departure from what the country has known for about the last century and I think that would have very serious downsides. Just very simply, I mean, I note at the last paragraph of my op-ed, as you saw, uh, there's a good shot that Republicans could get the House and the Senate in the upcoming elections. I'd say it's better than 50-50, but let's say it's 50-50. There's also a good shot that Donald Trump could become president again in 2024. So there's a good shot Republicans will have all three uh, in a few years. Do Democrats really want to have a setting where they have no say whatsoever in what legislation passes uh, if, if that occurs. I mean, these things are designed to protect both parties and the country at large and to keep us from dividing the energy and passion of the American people every time there's an election. So I, I think we have to think through what's not just in our personal self-interest today, but what's in our interest over 10 and 20 years and longer. You've now spent two years in the Senate in the majority, and almost a full year in the minority. You write in your piece about how 
important the Senate is as an institution and how vital it is to defend our institutions in the present moment. Do you plan to stick around? Are you thinking about running for a second term in 2024? Well, I'll certainly stay until the end of my term <laughs> and, and, and maybe thereafter. I haven't made that decision. And uh, 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 even though I really enjoy your podcast, I'm, I'm not going to make the announcement right here today. Uh, but look, it, it, it is an experience I enjoy. I find the, 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 uh, the people here are far more collegial than I had expected from the outside. Uh, we get together, uh, you know, we go to, to uh, 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 Joe Manchin's houseboat as Republicans and Democrats and, and uh, you know, have, have dinner together, lasagna he brings in. Uh, we get along socially. We disagree on a lot of topics, but I- I'm really pleased with the kind of comity and relationships that exist between the senators. I think the institution works. Uh, I find it enjoyable and challenging. And yeah, I'd rather be in the majority than the minority but I'd rather be here than just sitting on the beach. Well, thank you so much, Senator Romney, for taking the time to talk about your op-ed. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. On Wednesday, Republican senators voted to block debate on the third major voting rights bill that congressional Democrats have tried to pass this year. Only one Republican, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska voted to advance it. Murkowski called voting rights fundamental to our democracy and said in a statement that the bill provides a framework through which legitimate voting rights issues can be tackled. Several liberal senators said the fact that only Murkowski backed the proposal shows there's no possible compromise to be had with the GOP on the subject of voting rights. But... Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, has publicly opposed changing the filibuster, and all 50 Democrats would have to go along. He's also spent months trying to build GOP support for voting rights legislation. He gave no indication after Wednesday's vote that his thinking on the filibuster has evolved. He told reporters that he still believes a bipartisan voting bill is possible. Please Go On is produced by Julie Deppenbrock with editing from Allison Michaels, Michael Duffy, and Renita Jablonski. This episode was mixed by Dara Hirsch. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. You can find the link to Senator Romney's op-ed in our show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating and review. It helps new listeners find us. I'm James Holman, and I'll be back next Friday with another episode because there's always more to say.